This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3458 for Wednesday, the 3rd of November 2021. Today's show is entitled Living in the Terminal 2, the obligatory sequel. It is hosted by Black Colonel and is about 61 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is a very tired Black Colonel tries to handle feedback from the previous episode. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Public Radio. My name is Black Colonel, and today I'm going to be going over sort of the obligatory sequel to my Living in the Terminal episode. I didn't expect that episode to get as much feedback as it did. Kind of was expecting more feedback from the Rust 101 series, but that that shows how much I know about any of this. Uh, I'm just going to try to get into it because this is the third time I've tried to record this, and I keep going off on really wide tangents, and I. While I'm okay with going on tangents, as I'm doing now, uh, I want to try to keep it a little bit closer to reality. So, starting out with the email feedback, uh, I got some feedback from Dave Morris. A lot of feedback from Dave Morris, actually, because apparently I can't write HTML. Uh, I've tried writing it in um, VimScript. Or, sorry, not VimScript. Jesus. Uh, I've tried to write it in uh, VimWiki. Tried to write it in Markdown, tried to write it in restructured text, ASCII doc, and I even, even though I don't know how to use it, I even loaded up Emacs to try doing it in org mode, and none of it worked. All of it had, or rather, none of it worked automatically. All of it had problems once I ran it through Pandoc, mostly when it comes to, um, it wants to wrap code blocks in span tags rather than pre-tags, which I don't know why. So, and then even when I did it manually once, I misordered the uh, nesting lists, and apparently that all flagged his validate HTML Perl script, and so I've been getting a lot of feedback from him regarding that. Um, I ran this one the show notes for this episode, through that validate HTML Perl script, so it should be good, because it didn't give me any errors. And so I'm eagerly awaiting to hear, to get your email, Dave Morris, about how this episode still failed, and how I suck at writing markdown languages that aren't based on latex. Um, we also talked about something which I put on the Hacker Public Radio mailing list, and Ken Fallon told me to write an episode about it. Uh, I have, I'm have. i not lacking for ideas for episodes, so I'm just going to put the idea that I had there here because it's not even production. It's not even like beta testable. Like I haven't written 
any code for it whatsoever. I just have a an idea and sort of pseudocode for how I would want to structure the project. Uh, I'm calling it Project Wellerman because it's a podcasting sort of application, a podcast deployment application that I want to that I'm modeling off of the AutoTools workflow. So the idea is essentially you would have a XM, you'd have your um, your source files. You'd have your, like your raw, like your intro music. You'd have your transitional music. You'd have your different um, sections of your podcast, maybe, or maybe there's just one section. Maybe you have um, Ladspa effects or uh, any any other things that you would have in the sort of the editing of your podcast, you'd have those in an XML file, or rather you'd have those all in like a source a folder, and then you have an XML file which tells, or which sort of outlines how you would edit it together. So like, um, apparently there's a file format called SESX, which is done by uh, Adobe Premiere, I think, but it's XML based. So I've been told. And apparently it does a lot of the same type of thing. And heck, if it's good enough for Adobe Premiere, which everyone apparently thinks is like the gold standard for everything anyway, then it should be good enough for this if I can figure out how it works. Uh, but the idea is that I would, you'd write it all out in the XML file there as how you'd want to edit it, which means that your initial files can be unedited with all of your mistakes and all of that in it. Um... And then you would have your XML file, which would say how to edit it. Like, it would also be divided up into the different sections of the show. So you'd have your music as a certain tag. You'd have your sections as a certain tag. All of that kind of thing. And your effects as a certain tag. And then you would have a make file, which would take in that XML, run it through like FFmpeg, and then spit out your edited podcast, as well as maybe having a make uh, trigger in it, like make publish or something, that would write it to a... That would upload it to a server and write the content to a uh, Atom feed and stuff like that to sort of automate the publishing process as well. Um, and then you could, this is the thing that really sort of made me want to do this because so far this is just more work rather than less work. Uh, but there also could be a configure shell script uh, which would allow for you to configure the way your output was. So you'd be able to output it to like if you did configure dash dash opus, then you'd get an opus file out. If you did configure dash dash m4a, you'd get an m4a file out. If you did a, a configure dash dash mp3, you get an mp3 out if you really needed to have an mp3 or whatever. Which I'm not necessarily condoning, but, you know, people. Uh, that gets back to sort of the reason why I would want to do this. Because, like, the idea that I first had, like, the thing that made me have this idea was having a configure dash dash no music dash dash speaks so it would give you a speaks file without any music in it because speaks historically and famously does not handle music very well um but this will let you be able to first of all you could automate this into having multiple different feeds from the same source file but then in addition you could host the source code itself which would allow people to not only kind of run their, like, 
custom compile it themselves. If they're one of those people that needs an MP3 file or something, they could compile it themselves. Or it would also allow them to look at your unedited files, presume, providing you actually don't edit them, which I understand that there are some reasons why you might want to do it anyway, because you might edit on the fly, or you might be in a situation where, you don't, where you're doing a live um, podcast anyway, so it's not really edited to begin with, so you don't really need to edit it even in post. Um, but they could look at your unedited files and sort of get a feel for how people sound before they process their audio, which would help people sort of realize that this isn't like, you don't need special training to do this type of thing. You can just pick up your phone and record into it. If you want, you can record into your uh, laptop microphone. You can do whatever. It's just, it's not that big a deal. Uh, yeah, um, so this is sort of the idea that I had behind Project Wellerman, and I will work on it myself at some point, but I'm in the middle of a lot of different projects at the moment, in addition to being up to my waist in ideas for more Hacker Public Radio episodes that I am struggling to have time to record as it is, um, but so if anybody else wants to work on that, feel free. Uh, I would prefer if you didn't use the Project Wellerman name, or if you... Uh, no, I, I would prefer if you didn't necessarily use that name, because I would like to use that for my own project. Um, and then if uh, we have, like... Although I might just, like, if yours is infinitely better than what I would ever do, then, like, go for it and... I'll let you use the name, but it was one of those things that's, like, I do like that name. I mean, I'm not going to, like, sue you over it or whatever. I don't really care that much, but just, I would I would like to use that for my project just because I like the idea of it being a podcast and it being a Wellerman who casts towards pods. It's kind of a cool thing. Um, and... At risk of making this tangent too circuitous, I'm also going to say that a whimsical idea that I had that I wanted to add to Project Wellerman was while it is quote-unquote compiling, because I know that FFmpeg can take a long time to render files if you don't have a fast computer, I was thinking about trying to write a... using Coproc, like um, Dave Morris went over in uh, one of the episodes back in Hacker Public Radio. Um, using Coproc to uh, use the beep command to play uh, the Wellerman, the sea shanty, out of your computer while it's compiling. I think that would be fun. Anyway, moving on to uh, the next email. Got from Hacker Defo. who sent a lot of really good, really good uh, suggestions. One of them, which I was blown away by, was something called less term cap. So apparently, everything you can do in most, which is like the pager that I mentioned last time, which has 
a lot of pretty colors. It has a lot of very good um, visual feedback for your terminal, provided you can utilize that visual feedback to begin with. Um, like, apparently you can do all of that in less with environment variables. So HackerDefo sent me a bunch of, well, really it's one file and then a way of sourcing that file into your bash rc and this is going to be in the show notes in pre-tags so it shouldn't flag the validate html dave uh but uh it basically exports a bunch of less term cap environment variables to add in the bold and all of this kind of stuff and i don't know how any of this works at all like all of this is greek to me but I do know that it works, because I've tried it out, and it makes it look good in less. So you don't need to use most, you can just use less. Do Use all of the stuff that you're used to from less, as far as keyboard shortcuts and moving around and all that kind of stuff. And I actually like it a little bit more, just because it's a little bit more minimal, where most has a lot of really big flashing lights, and it uses, um, like, red and gold and all this kind of nonsense which is kind of straining for my eyes whereas i think that this uses your um terminals like whatever color scheme you have set up in your terminal which is a lot nicer for me at least because i mean there might be something else to it as i said i have no idea how this works i will have to look it up at some point but for now it makes all it makes your less pager look really pretty and then the bash rc basically just checks to see if you have that file and if you do, then it sources it into your bash RC so that it loads up all those environment variables when you start your your uh, terminal. Uh, HackerDefo also sent me a list of three more uh, terminal-based podcatchers. Um, Polka and GPotter CLI are fine. They're not my style. I don't particularly like their layout. I can't remember why off the top of my head. I think I still have Polka installed. Let me see if I do. I do not. Okay. Uh, well, the point is, Castro is good. I like Castro a lot. Castro has that Seamuse-like feel, which is something that I really enjoy. Like that. That is the type of TUI interface that I like for a music player. I would say that it reminds me of uh, Midnight Commander, but I'm going to get why that would not be a compliment coming from me. But it does kind of remind me of Midnight Commander, but it's a music player, so it makes sense as an application that I would use. Uh, but yeah, I think Castero is my favorite of these three, and I'm probably going to use it more in the future. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really all I have to say. Uh, I'm going to try to... The, the problem that I've been having is just not having time, so I end up using the podcatcher on my phone rather than trying to transfer it over to my phone for my computer. I mean, I have ways of doing that. It's just... It takes more time. I have less access to Wi-Fi for a lot of reasons, so I end up having to use data and all that, so... I'm not going to use Castero as much as I would like, but it is very good for people that need it for their computer. Uh, there was also a thing that came up about why I don't like Python, or 
Also, Java is on, in the same ca category. And it isn't for any kind of, like, rational reason, per se. So, the, when I learned about programming, and you can look, listen to my um, Journey in Technology episode one for more information on this, but when I was taught programming, I was taught opcode assembly. Like, the whole concept of an operating system didn't exist for me as a kid. Like, when I thought about a computer... I thought about the uh, individual transistors switching and flipping and the way that the opcodes that are hard-coded in the processor operate in order to give you hardware output. That was sort of my understanding of computers. And the more you abstract away from that, the more uneasy I get about it because it provides more chance for failure uh, it provides more chance for um, unintended behavior. Uh, and this has been shown in like the early days of Python and Java. There was a lot of memory leak issues and a lot of just weird things, which I've heard that they've gotten a lot better. And I know that Python is apparently super secure now. And Java is apparently also super secure now. But I just, it makes me... It just doesn't sit right with me. And it's not like it doesn't it's not that it's slow, which I've heard that people say, like, I don't care about that because it's going to be in the matters of milliseconds, really. And for like an application you're running on your desktop, it doesn't really matter. It's not an embedded system. But like the, that memory leak issue and the, those sort of security concerns do kind of bother me a little bit. And it's just, when I'm using a program that I know is written in Python or I know is written in Java, it's something that I can't help but think about sometimes. And just for full disclosure, Castero is written in Python. Um, I'm trying to do sort of better with that because I know it doesn't matter as much as I think it... Well, it matters probably precisely as much as I know it does. But it doesn't... It feels like it matters a lot more to me because it's just like... I don't know, it just seems weird to me, I guess. I mean, I know why it happens. I know it's important because it allows for it to be more portable and allows it to be moved around between more systems. But it just feels a little bit uglier. Which, I don't know, maybe I'm being too judgmental about the programming languages. But either way, that's sort of the reason why I don't prefer to use Python or Java programs is because... They just aren't an elegant programming language in terms of operation, and that is something that I think about while I'm using the program. And it does impact the amount that I enjoy using the program. And as I said, it's not a rational explanation. It's purely an emotional thing. But that's the reason why I don't prefer Java or Python. It's just too abstracted from the hardware. Um... I haven't actually gotten a chance to try this one out yet, but HackerDefo also sent me a link to a way of using the ProtonMail bridge with MUT. So a bunch of people did send me the stuff about ProtonMail bridge, which I, did, I have used in the past, but the thing that I've had problems with is I have like five ProtonMail um, email addresses. And it's difficult for the bridge to handle all of them at once. And I've even had situations where the bridge would crash. 
and then when it rebooted, it would reduplicate all of my emails in my inbox and stuff like that. And it just wasn't really working out very well, which is why I stopped using it. But maybe it's gotten better since I used it. I don't know. I'm going to go back and check that at some point. But let me know if anyone else has had that problem before, or if that's just a me thing, and if there's anything I can do to fix that before I you know, end up with that problem again, hope preferably. Um, that's pretty much all the email that I got. So I also got a lot of comments, a lot of comments actually, on the last episode. Uh, which is kind of weird to me because, well, I mean, I guess it's not kind of weird to me, but I, I don't prefer that because I, the comment systems on websites are really clunky. And I know that it's a little bit better on, um, Hacker Public Radio with the anti-spam question and all of that kind of stuff, but it's just one of those things that. I would prefer to just get email about it because it's easier for me to respond to email. It's less of a barrier to entry. I can respond to email on my phone. It's very difficult to, well, not very difficult, but it is uh, very slightly inconvenient. Like, the least amount inconvenient, but like, it's very, it has that tiny, tiny barrier to entry that I just can't be bothered with while I'm at work or something to uh, reply to comments on my phone. Um, but I will go over all of the comments that I did get and sort of respond to them in audio form here so that I am responding to them. So the first one is from Operator, which said, um, Kids these days, I'm going to read out the whole uh, comment. I know that they do this on the um, the community news as well, but I want to be able to read out the whole thing so that I can uh, respond to it properly. So Operator said, Wow, I didn't think people like you really existed. Mad props. Me four days ago would have asked you about playing music through an SSH tunnel, but I switched to Plexamp for, for music because my wife uses Subsonic too. I think Subsonic is dying. Another thing is I really enjoy the highlighting in my Windows... MOBA Xterm Terminal. I've tried a few times to get my entire terminal set up with syntax highlighting and keyword stuff like MOBA does, but it is app-specific. So, for example, in 6, I can have nice colors, then I can leave the terminal and I get black and white. Or leave... Uh, that is what it says. I believe that that he means leave to the terminal. And you get black and white. What I want is everything highlighted everywhere. Now, I don't use Windows because if you've heard my uh, second episode of um, my journey into technology, uh, I hate talking about Windows. And Windows has done me wrong in a lot of ways, mostly just because I'm not used, like as a kid, I didn't, like an operating system doesn't make sense to me as anything other than a convenience. And Windows is not a convenience. Windows is a hindrance. I would rather not have an operating system on my computer at all and type in raw opcodes in order to, like, do functions and load programs via their opcodes, like via the actual machine language, rather than use Windows. I mean, honestly, I probably wouldn't rather do that anymore because nobody writes in opcodes anymore. 
so I would need to have some kind of operating system. But I would rather use that, um, what is it? There's a Linux distribution that can fit on a single floppy drive, or floppy disk. I'd rather use that than Windows, like, than Windows 10, because I can't. It's It's sort of like with the Python thing, but, like, so much more, because it actively prevents you from doing things but it's like one of those things that even when i'm able to do what i need to do i just know that it's under duress and it's very viscerally emotional for me as far as that's concerned but if what you want is syntax highlighting and colors everywhere and all of the flashing lights and everything to be super pretty and interactive I will recommend Fish to you, which is the friendly interactive shell. It is, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I used to use it a lot more. I've switched back to Bash because of POSIX compatibility. But hey, if you're using Windows anyway, you probably don't care about that as much as I do. Um, and you will get all of the colors in the rainbow. You can still use Bash scripts as long as you have Bash still installed. And the magic cookie line, the hash bang, or the shebang at the beginning is there. It'll run through bash instead of through fish. Um, and then you'll get all your POSIX compatibility and all that. But it's that has all of the colors, and it has really robust syn- um, tab completion. Like, like, really robust tab completion. It also has a very... Has a much nicer scripting language than Bash in terms of actually being a programming language and not an ASCII text stream with uh, pre-processing applied to it, which is kind of what all Bash is really. Um, but yeah, so Fish would be my suggestion there. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I actually don't have it in the show notes at the moment, so I'm going to have to add that and then rerun the valid HTML to make sure that Dave Morris has a reason to yell at me rather than no reason because I'm just an idiot and that's not a reason. Anyway, next one is from Beezy, uh, which is plus one for scene use. I don't really know what scene use is, but he explains in the comment that he meant to say scene use. Uh, he says, thank you for this great show. I also use scene use. It is the only program that doesn't choke on my extremely large music library that I have on an NFS mount. Uh, I will be trying out most, and I encourage you to try out Ranger. So, okay, I'm going to try to take this one step at a time because you'll find out. But first, just to talk about the large music library, my brother has a music library that is, oh geez, I want to say it was almost 300 gigabytes of music. It might actually have been more than that, but I'm... I'm remembering it was like at least 300 gigabytes of music. Uh, a lot of instrumental stuff, a lot of weird like um, prog rock, power metal, down to lowercase and country and pop and just all kinds of crap. And it was 300 gigabytes on his on his hard drive. Uh, and he used XMMS. So I would suggest trying out, if you're looking for a graphical like um, replacement, as it were, for CMUS, if you want to use graphics, I would go with XMMS. Uh, see if that works for you, and if it doesn't, then let me know about it, because that's what I'm remembering that he used. Uh, and I, 
if you have more music than 300 gigabytes, uh, also let me know because I would like to download all of it at some point. Although I don't know if my bandwidth would would talk to me after that. Uh, but I would like to download it, whether or not I actually could. Um, in relation to most, I also talked about the that you can make less look like most. I, I encourage everyone to try out most anyway, just to see what it is and to see sort of compare it to less and less with less term cap and all of that kind of stuff uh just to see what you prefer because i mean really that's all it's about um uh and i would like that to be the end of the comment but no he he encouraged me to try out ranger now i'm gonna double check i'm, I'm pretty sure i know what ranger is because uh it's one of the it's part it's part of the this group of things. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's what I thought it is. So, I hate file managers. Like I hate them. I hate file managers. I never use file managers when I can help it. Like for very few things, I will use a file manager when it fits the particular workflow, but that is going to be a graphical file manager because that's sort of the the workflow that I need to do. Like the last time that I used a file manager where I actually wanted to use a file manager was because I needed to um, I needed to restore a bunch of things from my trash can. And so I opened up a file manager. I used con uh, control to click through and select all of the files I wanted to restore, right-clicked, and then restored. Like, that kind of stuff I can do with a graphical file manager. I, I don't understand Midnight Commander. I don't understand... Ranger, because it's text-based, and I won't, like, I can't, like, sure. I don't even know if I could do that in Ranger or in, I mean, I guess I should look into it, maybe, but, yeah, no, it looks like it does have a No, it doesn't, because this is just moving it to the trash. Although, it does apparently uh, match up with GIO, which is nice if I was using GNOME, which I'm not, so I don't even know if this has GIO, or KIO for that matter. Um, so the problem is, is that if I use something like this, unless I'm not reading something correctly, is that it wouldn't handle my... Um, my trash info files or my directory sizes file which is annoying because then I'll just have these trash info files clogging up my info directory uh, and I don't want to deal with that and my graphical one handles all of that because that's integrated trash can ness uh, but I just hate file managers like even the graphical ones I don't use them very much at all like usually if I need to select a bunch of files, I will just move them on the command line or I will copy them from the command line or whatever, as far as that's concerned. I'll just CD into the directory. And let's say I just want to look at my my at an overview of all of my file system, like I want to get that visual feedback. Well, I have this wonderful program that I'm sure everyone here, like I think everyone listening to this has probably seen uh, whether or not you know that you've seen it is uh, up for debate, but it's called 
where is it? It's called FSV, File System Viewer. Uh, and the place where, or File System Visualizer. And the place where you might have seen this is if you've seen the movie Jurassic Park. And you remember this line that, I'm terrible with names, but it is the, the young girl in that movie, the hacker, beautiful character. Uh, she says, uh, it's a Unix system, I know this. And the thing that she is using is FSV. I think it was probably, I think it was called something different at the time, but it's the same program. And it does the same thing where it lets you view your file system. Now, it doesn't really let you open the files because reasons, I guess, but it lets you see, sort of give that visual feedback of the file system. It's actually kind of useful if you want that sort of visual feedback and you want to sort of get a sense for what is taking up space on your computer. Um, but yeah, besides that, I just, I just don't like using, I don't like using file managers in general. And when I do use file managers, I would use graphical ones because text-based ones don't make any sense to me. Like, why wouldn't I just, if I wanted a two-pane setup, uh, okay, control B, control five, or sorry, control B, shift five, which is vertical split on tmux and wow i have i have split panes and i can cd into one directory on on one and cd into a different directory on the other now if i want to have that sort of experience of watching my files whoop over to the other directory i'll just do like let, let me make sure that i'm not making up that i can do this uh open up a terminal open up tmux so let me do get that split pane view Go over to downloads in this one. And what can I move over to somewhere? Yeah, I'll move over the those. So if I then CD over to my pictures directory on this one and I do watch LS, watch space LS. Yeah, so I have an LS. I, I can see the contents of my pictures directory there. And then if I do a move... Um, sapperling.png to pictures or to tilde slash pictures. Then I can see it pop up in the other, other pane like that. If I actually like want to do that for whatever reason. So you can just do that. I don't see the point of a text-based file manager. File managers are intrinsically GUI-based to me because you have the commands on the command line to do all of those processes. You can you can move files, you can copy files. If you want to get into selecting certain files, you can use regex, utilizing like parallels or find or whatever. You can use uh, or even ls and grep. Um, you can use push D and pop D if you want to get like, um, different, if you want to like organize different directories to put things into you, you, you have all of these tools on the command line that I just don't see the point of a file manager on the command line. Like I feel the same way about midnight commander about all of those. It's just not, 
something that makes sense to me. Um, I thank you for encouraging me to try something. Uh, I just, I believe I have tried Ranger years ago, but I didn't see it as anything particularly different from Midnight Commander, if I'm remembering correctly. Although now that I'm saying about it, yeah, no, it's, it had the same feel as Midnight Commander to me, which was just like confusion, mostly of why this exists. I'm I'm sure it works great for, for some people, and if you want to tell me why you like it, I would be happy to hear about it. It just doesn't have any special place for me at all. Um So, uh moving on we have uh, the text by Sesa, Sesame Mucho, which says, thanks for the show. At one point, I used Emacs on the console because I didn't have enough RAM to run X Windows and compiler at the same time. Uh, never set up, uh, sat down and got the Linux console to use a good font. These days, I run the i3 window manager, uh, so I get a lot of terminal windows and graphics apps as needed. If you're looking for an improved sort of end curses, you could look into the textual framework. Uh, figured there'd be more comments here about six. Uh, I kind of did too about the more comments about six. Uh, a lot of people don't really know what the the origin story is behind six. I told this to Hacker Defo in an email, um, but basically, as I'm sure we're all aware, that um, there's this thing called sysvnit back in the original Unix days, uh, which was the init system, RC file, RC.d, RC files, all that kind of stuff. If you if you use Slackware or BSD now, you, you should be pretty familiar with the sysv type of system. Um, but it, it seems to be, like, the init system seems to be the sort of thing that people just kind of want to keep tacking things onto, and one of the first things that they tacked onto it was, was the text editor, 6, which is why it's called that, because it's after... Uh, sys5 or sysv in it um, and then later on you ended up with people tacking on so much stuff to it that they ended up calling the whole conglomeration uh, system 500 or I've heard some people call it system D uh, but yeah just the, the D for 500 in Roman numerals like how sysv in it is actually system 5 in it because it came after system 4 um and then you have 6 as sort of the thing that was tacked on to System 5. I don't really know if they kept the text editor portion uh, in System D, which would be a surprise because they kept everything else and then more. But that'd be an interesting... If, if anyone knows what the text editor component of System 500 is, uh, please let me know. Um... As far as the textual framework goes, I actually didn't... I actually forgot to look this up, so let me look it up really quick. Uh, see if I can get some screenshots, at the very least, textual framework. Oh, wow, this looks really cool, actually. Really cool. Maybe. I might use this in a project that I'm working on. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. It looks like it might be a little too heavy for 
for what I am actually wanting. But maybe I'll I'll, I'll think about it. I, I'm I might just use dialogue and end curses because it's a little bit lighter weight than what this looks like it is. Yeah, and it looks like it's a Python base, so it it is kind of on the heavier side. Um, I think I'm just going to stick with end curses for now, although this is a very good thing to know about for if I wanted to make a more heavyweight application. But I'm just, I'm usually not a fan of heavyweight applications, or if I'm going to make something that heavyweight, I mean, if you don't have enough uh, RAM or processing to run X, I don't really see exactly why you would run textual. I'm not totally sure. I'm not I mean I can see that it's saying um that it has like a more web UI type of syntax which is I does nothing for me because I never was into web UI as I'm going to get into in the next episode of my um my journey into technology but it's just I'm not really seeing where this really excels where uh end curses is concerned uh, let me know what I'm missing, because my my idea is that if you're, you're writing in end curses, your idea is maximum portability, and this doesn't seem to be maximally portable because it's based on Python, and it seems to be sort of a little bit like he heavier weight. Like everything, like most Linux distributions come with lib end curses, which is based on C, uh, and uses the traditional framework for um, GUI applications as far as it's the way that it structures its um, API handles. Whereas this seems to be more web-based, which might be good for some people to write it. Does nothing for me, really. And it seems to be a lot heavier weight. Like, not GUI levels of heavy weight, but heavier than NCURS's weight. Uh, and it looks like it only has Python bindings, if I'm reading this correctly. Yeah, Py only has Python bindings, which is not particularly interesting to me. Although I, I should probably get back into Python, because I, I did use it for a while. And I think I might just be being too judgmental towards Python, the more I think about it. So I might get back into that. Uh, anyway, so it's a good uh, suggestion, but I don't really see the point to it, really, kind of in the same way as text-based file managers. It just seems to be bloat, I guess, Like I'm at least for me. Like, if somebody has some kind of really, really good reason that it isn't bloat, let me know, because I do want to use more of that kind of stuff. It's just like... I want this to be able to run on anything that can run end curses, and it seems like that would not be the case. And I know you might be thinking of, well, oh, everything is a 64-bit machine now with at least 2 gigabytes of RAM, but I actually might be in the process of acquiring a Windows 95 computer, or Windows or a computer which whose original operating system was Windows 95, uh, and I, I don't believe that it is a 64-bit 
computer with at least two gigabytes of RAM, and I would want for my applications to be able to run on it. So that's kind of what I'm where I'm coming from as far as that's concerned. Um, so about the i3 window manager, I I like the idea of tiling window managers. I really do because I mean, of course I do. I like doing everything. I I'm I just got through how I don't like uh window managers very much. I don't really like graphics. That's kind of what this whole thing is about. And a tiling window manager is like the least minimum viable graphics, as it were. But, and I do like tiling window managers. But there are some times where when I'm using a tiling window manager, because it's graphical, because I'm using graphical apps, I kind of have this hardwired thing of like, okay, then I want to just drag this window over here to have this sort of floating window staggered view and then drag this over here and then do it like that. Maybe I want to drag a window onto the top of the screen and have it clip, like snap into full screen, or I want to drag it to the side and have it go to a different virtual um, workstation or those kind of things. And I just do that sort of um, instinctively. And on a tiling window manager, it doesn't work. And I mean, I could get used to it. Of course, I could get used to it. But I'd rather not. I'd rather just be able to do everything that I can do with a tiling window manager and everything I can do with a floating window manager. Uh, The ones that I've kind of set up for this at the moment are XFCE, which is my preferred one uh it's it's the easy one for me i'm I'm not going to necessarily say it's my preferred desktop environment because i would like to have time to configure fluxbox which is my other one i would like to be able to configure or have time to configure fluxbox to be perfect to have that kind of melding of tiling and floating windows and just mm. Like that's my that would be my perfect type of setup is having most of the things be able to be done through tiling, so with all my keyboard shortcuts and all of that, but then not punish me or not break my workflow if I default to uh floating window manager behavior. So it'll still operate as a floating window manager anytime that I accidentally try to use it as one. It's kind of what I like about that. Um but I do really like tiling window managers, and usually I'm using my my computer like a tiling window manager. Like I never, I almost never actually use the applications menu. I usually just open up a run prompt and then run it from there. But there are some times where I will use the application menu to just look around, to like look at what's on my computer, see if there's something that I've forgotten about as far as like a game or an applica- or a um, an accessory or uh, is that what it's called? Yeah, an accessory or uh, some kind of graphic application like contrast. What is that? I don't know. It's it's definitely a KDE app, and I need to work on figuring out what I'm going to be doing about all the KDE apps that come on de- for, by default on this computer. I, I K- KDE I have a love hate relationship with. I like the idea. Like I like. I like a lot of the apps. I don't like a lot that they have so many dependencies. But that is what it is, I guess. But yeah, great uh great comment and thank thank you for um 
Thank you for the comment, Sesame Mucho. Uh, so the next one I have is very enjoyable, uh, which is sent by the master of the validating of HTML himself, Dave Morris, uh, where he said that he loved the show. I started on mainframes in the 1970s where all there was was teletape or physical terminal. I use X Windows now, but spend the majority of my time in terminal emulators. Having spent today on in the Linux console on my Demodian testing system, debugging a problem caused by the last update, I am appre appreciating being back in KDE. The problem was due to multiple incompatible versions of the NVIDIA legacy driver lurking in the system, it turned out. Wouldn't want to stay in the console, though, even with Tmux. Like you, I'm a fan of N-curses, and I have a few... I've written a few simple things in my time. Uh, I'm a Vim user, and I'm contemplating moving to NeoVim. I've written a few basic extensions in VimScript, but the look of NeoVim's Lua, but I like the look of NeoVim's Lua interface. Finally, you had me going for a moment, calling uh, six six, having been an Ed and X user in the past versions, uh, in the past various Unix flavors. I remembered that six was abbreviation abbreviated Visual command that gave you screen mode from x now i'm actually going to stop like for this for the response to this last part i'm gonna uh i i don't want to break the illusion but i also kind of do want to break the illusion a little bit i i know, like obviously i know that it's actually pronounced vi and from and vi and all of that like i'm not actually like it's it's a joke but I, it's a joke that I like, so I wanted I wanted to to keep going with it. But as far as this is concerned, I actually did know that it was for visual because, um, believe it or not, I actually am also a user of Ed and X as well as you know Set and Grep, which are based heavily on the ideas in Ed and X. Uh, as well as uh, Perl and a few other things. But like th those were sort of the thing, because when I got into Linux, which was in 2006, mind you, uh, 2005, 2006, but it was well past when everyone else had stopped using Ed. But it was one of those things where I was mostly like, all right, how am I... So like, I don't care about how people are using it now. How am I supposed to use this? Because I know that Unix was a thing back from the 70s. So what are the applications that they built into the system to operate with the system when they ha introduced the idea of this thing called Unix. Uh, and so I did spend a lot of time when I was a kid learning Edinx and uh, Sed and Vi, even before Vim, like using just straight Vi, which I'm glad I don't have to do anymore, uh, as well as all of that kind of stuff, and it was a very nice experience because I have I've had experiences with um, dot matrix printers, uh, line printers. Uh, so I understood why Ed operated the way that it did. Like, I, I it wasn't weird to me that it only allowed you to edit one line at a time, and why it printed out things the way that it did, and the way that it sort of gave you that feedback because it was meant for a dot matrix teletype printer. And I got that pretty easily. And then X obviously is a lot more complete than Ed as far as like feature set. And then Vi is for if you actually have a screen and don't have to do everything on a printer, which is why it's called a visual, which I know a lot of people probably find it funny that 
it's called visual when it's text-based. But that's why. It's because you can actually use a screen for it and you aren't doing it on a printer. So that's why it's visual. Um, but yeah, I did actually know that. But it's really cool that um, that there are still other people that, that know that, I guess. Um, it's not surprising that Dave would know this, considering that he lived through the 1970s and the whole beginning of this whole Unix with teletape thing. But it's it's still fantastic to hear about it. Like it's it's one of the things that I love about using Linux and using computers in general is sort of having this like it's having a connection to the past even if you don't realize it. Like if you're using a any form of if you're using any computer, you have this sort of like legacy that you're that you're utilizing. Like if you're using a um an AMD or an Intel processor. Those are, even if they're 64-bit, they're based on the x86 instruction set, which ties you back to that legacy of the 8086 processor and that sort of 8-bit programming and back in those, like, it, it gives you this connection to the history of that processor. And if you're lucky enough to be using a... um a Power 9 processor. You have that sort of legacy to the Power PC and the the uh, risk the original risk architectures as well as if you're using ARM or Risk 5, you have that sort of legacy built into it as well but taking slightly different directions. And it gives you this sort of history that's very fascinating to me. Um but it's just great to hear from people that actually remember this stuff viscerally like this because like I used it but I didn't have to use it. Like, I wasn't using it because I had to, even though I acted like I did. Like, I purposefully used it before I used Vim. Like, the first text editor that I used to edit files in uh, Linux Mint, so I didn't have the benefit of starting... Actually, I did have the quote-unquote benefit because X actually crashed the first time I, I turned on my computer. But the first thing that I... Um, used to edit a file was Ed. I used Ed to edit my config files and all of that on Linux Mint. And I had to read the man page in order to do that. The man pages wouldn't have... I I, I don't know about the history of man page. I don't know if, if you typed in uh, man ed on a teletype printer, if it would have printed out the entire man page on your printer. That seems slightly wasteful. But, um, like, I would think you would just have the manual separate from that, that you would have to pull out and read through it that way. Uh, but either way, I read through the manual for Ed and was able to utilize it, and it was really nice, actually. Um, yeah, it's just fascinating. Okay, okay now, from, from now on, if anyone else mentions, mentions six, I'm gonna, I'm gonna refer to it as such because it's a funny joke i think and it makes it lets me make fun of uh mac os 10 people um so and the final comment i have on this is from gumnos which says using c to pause in cmus which 
I feel like I, I, I knew at some point. I mean, I'm pretty sure I did. But he, they say, Gum, Gumnos says, uh, the controls in CMUS are laid out like a traditional VCR tape player from left to right on the bottom corner of a traditional QWERTY keyboard. So that's Z for previous, X for play, C for pause play, V for stop, and B for next. I can't say this helps me remember much, but at least it's the reasoning behind the non-mnemonic keys. And that actually really kind of helps me sort of remember it a little bit. I, I mean, same same boat as you, man. Uh, it doesn't help me remember it much, but it's... The way that I remembered it, which is really dumb, but I remember just C for CMUS was how you paused. Because pausing and playing is basically all I ever did in CMUS. I didn't really go back or go forward because generally I have it on shuffle anyway. It's kind of just how I roll. Uh, but that's really good information and thank you for reminding me about that. It's uh, Keyboard layouts for things are just not great sometimes. Um, but that's all the comments. So now I have the two other topics that I wanted to go into a little bit. One of which is something that is a response to a uh, conversation I had with um, some guy on the internet, which I spent way too long trying to get this out because I should have responded to this like a month ago or something. Uh, but it's called a here document on the text line or on the command line, which is a way of very quickly and efficiently putting text into a file. So you don't have to use grep every single line on your files or not grep, what, what is it, echo. You don't have to echo pipe or echo uh, redirect it into a file every time. That's just... It's very difficult to read, actually, because uh, it all sort of melts together in your brain if you're looking at it for too long or if you're very tired. And I think that this is a little bit more readable. So what you do is that you do the command cat, and then you do a redirect that's a greater than symbol, and then the name of the file you want to... Uh, sort of cat everything into. And then you do two less than signs, so an internal redirect, into uh, whatever file you want to append to. And then EOF, or actually can be anything, but traditionally it's EOF for end of file. And then what you can do is you can hit enter, type in whatever you want, and it will retain all of your styling. So if you do a tab, it'll do a tab. If you do a space, it'll do a space. If you do a bunch of spaces, it'll do a bunch of spaces. It'll com it'll maintain your formatting. And then after you write everything you want to write into the file, you just end it with EOF. And then that'll put all of that, except for the EOF. It won't put EOF at the end. It'll just put everything between the cat statement and the EOF into the file. And you can use variables inside of this, and it will expand out. It will do variable expansion. Uh, you can do... Brace expansion, you can do uh, what was subshell expansion. You can do all of, all of the bash expansion things inside of this, as well as so. What this will do is this will overwrite the text file. If you want to append to a text file, you would do cat uh, redirect redirect. So that's greater than greater than then the file then less than less than then eof and then the same type of thing, and that will append all of that to the end of the file in a very similar way that you would do an echo. And then a double redirect for appending, and then a single redirect for a rewrite. Same type of thing, but this lets you write it without all of the echo statements. Very good thing to know about. Makes your code a lot more readable. 
lets you get rid of all of the echo statements at the beginning of every one of your lines. So that's saving you a whole, like, what, six characters, five characters? And it's just, it's just a lot better. Forgot the thing that I was supposed to link to at the end of this video, at the end of this episode, and I forgot to add it. So whatever I was talking about at the beginning of this episode that I was going to add into the show notes, it's probably not going to be there. Uh, I'm going to re-listen to it after I finish recording. So if it is there, that's what I did. If it's not there, then I was lazy. And you can let me know that I'm lazy on Mastodon or on email or whatever and just yell at me because I deserve it. Anyway, the last thing I want to talk about is probably the most important use for your terminal, like, of anything, like, uh, more important than writing files, more important than using the internet, more important than doing your taxes, doing spreadsheets, or any of that. Like, this is the most important thing you can do with your terminal, and it's NetHack, which is, which is beautiful. I, I haven't played it in a long time, even still, because... I just haven't had time to relearn the uh, movement commands, which I know... wouldn't take a whole lot of time, but I just don't have a whole lot of time to learn it at all. Like, every, every time I have a spare minute, I'm either catching up on my sleep, working on my programming projects, or recording hpr episodes or dealing with other things that i don't want to talk about right now um so i haven't had time for nethack but it's a shame that i don't have time for nethack because it is i really should be doing nothing else with my life besides playing nethack um because it is just so good it's such a good game and everyone in the universe should learn how to play nethack and that's just how i feel about it um so that's about it for this episode, I will try to remember to uh, re-listen to this to put all the things that I wanted to put in the show notes in the show notes, as well as um, I do have a bunch of stuff in there at the moment. Anyway, but I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>